You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents, often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution. Bank angle, bank angle, caution, terrain, don't sink, don't sink, glide slow, pull up, wind shear, wind shear, sink rate, pull up, traffic, traffic. Uh, we're going back inside the aluminum tube for another episode. This is an aviation history podcast. It looks at aviation events like disasters, accidents, incidents, and mere mishaps, and sometimes just aviation history, which is downright weird and wacky. I'm Shannon Baker. I'm your host. I'm the creator of this podcast. If you want to know my qualifications, you can go listen to episode zero, and you can learn all about me there. If you want to see pictures of uh, the airplanes, and enhance your experience. You should follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Instagram or Twitter. Both are at Aluminum Tube. I've been on hiatus for a bit. I think it's been a month since I uh, since I published the last one. Let's see. I am selling a house. I just have some personal things to go through. I also write and I produce this podcast nearly completely by myself, although Mary Hall does help me with the production sometimes, and she deserves credit for that. But regardless, it takes a lot of time. So I'd like to appeal to my listeners. I need to make a request. I need more co-hosts in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. I also need researchers to write about the airplanes and companies that I cover. And I'm always open to topic ideas. If you'd like to be involved in the podcast, hit me up. Like I said, on Twitter or Instagram, both of those are at AluminumTube, or you can email me at AluminumTubePodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so if you've heard other episodes, you already know that I always have a co-host who is not an aviation expert. That's me. And his role is to ask questions that will help the listener to better understand what actually happened. Um, and also just to break up the monotony of my voice, <laughs> my co-host today is David. So David, start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everyone. Uh, happy to be on board. So I'm originally from New York, lived in Manhattan and Queens for the last 11 years. I just moved to the Bay Area and became a flight attendant last May. I work for a major U.S. airline and it's been a lot of fun. Although I do feel very confident with my abilities to do my job on the aircraft, there is a lot about aviation that I do not know, as it's not... Uh, it hasn't been my profession for a very long time, only about nine months. So I'm super stoked. I've actually learned a lot from listening to this podcast. And so I'm happy to uh, be here today, join you all and uh, learn something new. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I'm happy to have you aboard. So today, you, so you've listened to the previous ones, but today I'm going to change the format ah. a little bit. Okay. I've got a new format for you, but like all the rest, I'm going to start with the date and then we're going to get to the rest of the story today. Cool. Okay. I really enjoy this other podcast called The Dollop, and I think that everybody should check it out because it's fantastic. But my format is going to be more like theirs today. I've written a story from aviation history, and I'm going to read it to my friend, David. And before we get started, I just want to confirm, David, that you don't know what this is going to be about. No, I'm excited and scared. I think every flight you sort of are, you don't really know what's going to happen on that flight. So that's how I feel. I'm taking this one phase of flight at a time. All right. So you ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. The date. 1912. Ooh, that's a long time ago. Heinrich Kubis became the first flight attendant. Mm, it's a very popular name, I think. Yes. And it was a guy. Mm. Oh, I got to turn off my phone. I'm just happy it wasn't me. <laughs> not only was he a male, but he cared for passengers, but not on an airplane, on a Zeppelin. Ze what is a Zeppelin? So a Zeppelin is a, a basically a blimp. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That mm -hmm. has hard sides, right? 
that uh, I'm imagining Indiana Jones when he punches the Nazi out of the window. That's exactly a Zeppelin. So, so Heydrich Kubis started his career working for a German airline called Delag, D-E-L-A-G, Delag, on a Zeppelin named Schwaben. I think that's how you say it. I think I think you just said it with confidence. So it probably is. I'm just I'm sticking with Schwaben. He even worked on the infamous Zeppelin, the Hindenburg. Oh, and when the Hindenburg burst into flames, he was on board. He helped the passengers jump to safety before jumping out himself. Yeah. Wow! And he survived. That's amazing. That is amazing. Do you remember the Hindenburg thing? Oh, the humanity! <laughs> you can look it up on YouTube. No, I know what you're talking about. It's yeah, insane. Yeah. All right, learned about it in high school. So. Today, we're talking about flight attendants. That's me. Right. So I've written this one just for you, David. Oh, I love that. Also, just so you at home know, that wasn't an audio clip. That was me saying that twice in a row. Anywho, go ahead. (laughs) So flight attendants back in the early days were known as stewards, Mm -hmm. couriers, or cabin boys. There's so many jokes I wanted to say about that, but I'm going to let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Because I dated a cabin boy once. (laughs) So being a steward was an all-male profession that somewhat mirrored the historical role of a butler. Ah, okay. The steward was often a job given to the son of or the sons of the financier of that particular airline because back in the day there wasn't just like a couple airlines. There were there was like an airline in every city and everyone was different. Right, right. Okay. The job of the steward endured for nearly 20 years, but that completely ended in 1929. Wait, so if we say that it's their son, right? So like how old is this kid? Is he 17 or is he So they were young men. Okay. Yeah. And like in their teens? Yep. Interesting. Um, teens and 20s, mostly. Uh, although Hydra Kubin was older when he started. He was in his mid-30s. Hmm. He continued to work for a long time, too. We can talk about him in a different episode, but yeah. let's see. Can I just say, too, I think it's interesting that men have, at least in the United States, they weren't allowed to be flight attendants for a very long time, right? So when you go back to the history of being a flight attendant, the fact that it started with men is kind of very interesting that it's but anyways yeah that's right, exciting right. to me we're getting there yeah i love it so okay. this is the history of flight attendants we're yeah. getting there so the history of the steward hmm. the crash of the stock market led a lot of airlines to go out of business and the ones that were remaining obviously they wanted to save money right, right? so guess what they did they put their first officers to work ah then called co-pilots <laughs> All right. The co-pilot was required to assist the captain as well as serve food and drinks. But as the aircraft grew more complex and the size of the aircraft accommodated more people and the range increased throughout the early 30s, the airlines began to reassess who should actually attend to the passengers. Right. Because then you, you just had one guy and he was supposed to be helping the captain and airplanes got more complicated. And then he actually did have to help the captain like, yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Okay. Enter Ellen Church. Ellen Church wanted to be a pilot. Okay. Wow. But Steve Simpson, a company official in San Francisco, working for a company called Boeing Air Transport. I think I've heard of them. Yeah. It's a company that later got absorbed by United Airlines. Steve Simpson suggested that Ellen Church and her fellow nurses Mm -hmm. become flight attendants. In a letter to his boss, Steve Simpson wrote, quote, imagine the psychology of having young women as regular members of the crew. Imagine the tremendous effect it would have on the traveling public. Also, imagine the value they would be to us in the neater and nicer method of serving food and looking out for passengers' welfare. End quote. I love that. So in 1930, United Airlines hired Ellen Church, and she became the world's first female flight attendant. (laughs) She was a registered nurse. She began flying at age 25. Specifically, though, 
Ellen Church thought it would be appropriate to have nurses on board since they could care for ill passengers. Ellen Church, per the New York Times, quote, Don't you think that it would be a good psychology to have women up in the air? How is a man going to say he is afraid of flying when there is a woman on the plane? <laughs> so she pitched the idea to, uh, to United Airlines and they decided to try it out. So it's my guess that Ellen saw the marketing genius. Right, absolutely. And so did Steve, right? Yeah. So I think these two kind of got together and they were like, you know, that's pretty genius. At that time, right, not everyone was nurses and not everyone had a degree in medical. So having somebody on board that would take care of that is yeah. ingenious. It I makes mean, you feel safer that you know at, you know, what is it, 10,000, 30,000 feet? How high well, were they flying at that time? Back then, about 8,000 feet. 8,000, right? Yeah. So that they were, you know experts too right didn't they have to know the map of the land and like point oh, it they out had to know stuff? so many they had, like they had their job stuff. function was insane yeah um my, hardest part of my job is remembering if the customer said coke or diet coke because i can't get the two <laughs> was it coke zero yeah that's... okay so back then let's go back to the 1930s to get hired as a stewardess uh the girl had to weigh between 100 and 120 pounds mm -hmm. and she had to be between five feet tall and five foot four and that's it additionally she had to be between the age of 20 and 26 single and for a while she had to be a registered nurse wow so pretty specific right yeah just a little bit targeted you know, age group yeah yeah very very specific demographic so united airlines among other early adopters of stewardesses they forbid marriage they forbid pregnancy and they forbid weight gain the airlines as as part of their hiring practices required that women take an oath to those things yeah a literal oath and if they did happen to get ma married, pregnant, or gain weight, they just got fired. Better choose wisely, ladies. Okay. But retirement age, 32. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just started being a flight attendant at 30. So that concept to me would be like, I'm going to fly for two years and then that's it. But you're okay. You're a guy. I'm a guy. You'll, that's you'll true. You'll figure it out. You'll yeah. figure it out. We're, we're, we're getting I, there. I won't get pregnant very soon. Initially, flight attendants were expected to work long hours and they made... About a dollar an hour. So wages haven't really gone up, have they? <laughs> just, I think if you do the math when a flight's delayed and you're sitting at the airport, there's been a few times I've thought to myself, I think I've made below minimum wage today. And they had to work at least 100 hours a month. Wow. Yeah. So they worked a lot. Uh, according to Time Magazine, the jobs were highly competitive and the hiring process was steeped in sexism. Oh, Can yeah. you imagine? Oh, wait. So you're telling that women can't be a certain weight, they can't have children, they can't get married, and there's no sexism there? I, right. I, they yeah. have to retire at yeah, age 32. Shocker. Mm -hmm. Shocker. Yep. To get their, 100, their $100 to $120. Oh, this is, the, uh, this is Time Magazine, right? Quote, to get their $100 to $120 a month, applicants for the 300 stewardess posts had to be pretty, petite, single, Graduate nurses, 21 to 26 years old, 100 to 120 pounds. Time also notes many of them found husbands right away after they found jobs. Just a few of them married pilots. Oh, well, just a few. Yeah, exactly. that's what it said. Just a few. <laughs> yeah. So nothing's changed without that. <laughs> exactly. You know, David, back in the day, man, flying was dangerous. Oh, yeah. Flying was dangerous back then. And some of the early flight attendants were actually touted for their heroism. A 22-year-old flight attendant from TWA named Nellie Granger, she helped critically injured passengers, and then she stumbled through snowy mountains in search of help after her flight crashed in Pennsylvania in 1936. She's I think, 22. I think uh, first world problems of sitting through TSA or having a gate change uh, may like, lessen that first world problem than having to mm. sift your way through a mountainside. 
Well, right. So that she, she probably so she's a nurse, so she probably triaged them. Right. Yeah. Right. And she went and assessed them all, and then she helped them, and then she stumbled through the mountains to get and you help because she was okay. Yeah, and she's got to be cold too, because she's probably not has a jacket or a skirt on and I mean, stockings. Just, well, so TWA rewarded her heroism with a paid cruise in the West Indies, which we now call the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Along with a promotion of probably ten cents. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably yeah. right. It was about ten cents an hour. Um, but the job was hard, and not getting married apparently was even harder. Hmm. And by 1940, the average tenure of a female flight attendant was just two and a half years. I mean, that's great for seniority if you're up and rising flight attendant, right? You know, like I've only been here six months, and I'm the third oldest flight attendant here. Yeah, that's no, you're right about. That. I'm. I, I talked to flight attendants. They're like, I've been flying for 25 years, and they're junior, and they can't hold, you know, half a line in Houston. I literally had um, a group of flight attendants where the most senior had been at airlines. The purser Mm -hmm. had been at airlines for four months. That was the most senior of all the crew. Amazing. I I just, it took three hours to give a meal service. Oh no. The captain stepped in and was like, oh, hey, we have a, you know, a new crew on board. And we, they ended up with a round of applause, but Aww. It took three hours for meal yeah. service. The first officer was like, I'm going to go back to original duties and I'll go step in the back and serve the carved chicken. Right? Yeah, I was like, do I need to go back there yeah. and help? <laughs> I think I might need to go back there and help. This is crazy, right? Talk to me. However, female flight attendants quickly replaced male ones. And by the end of the 1930s, it could have been considered an almost female role. During the 30s and 40s, their role expanded to include a wider range of tasks, reflecting the need for women in auxiliary roles, first during the Depression, and then during World War II, mm. right? Because we had less men. Okay, so I pulled this 1989 article from the Los Angeles Times. Here is the list of responsibilities for a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about think about just your long sit for a second. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the responsibilities of early flight attendants included cleaning the cabin, dusting, removing and installing seats, stopping passengers from tossing garbage out the windows. <laughs> Keeping an eye on passengers to make sure they didn't go through the emergency exits. You still have to do that. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Keeping the airplane clocks wound. Oh, yeah. Carrying a railroad timetable in case the plane was grounded or landed somewhere in an emergency. Right. She had a little book of all the railroad stops like along the way and the timetable. They were also responsible for administering first aid, doing cabin repairs, helping to fuel the plane. And some companies even had their flight attendants repaint the exterior of their aircraft. Hopefully not in flight. No, not in flight. <laughs> but can you imagine all those? Th- I mean. I, uh, no, no. I have to what? provide, you know, options for snacks in, uh, in first class. And that seems like a hard enough task to get somebody to make one decision, let alone keeping. And there's no apps for that, right? So she's got all these different things. Her back. Her bag must be full of just tools and timetables and oh, everything. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, and pilots used to have to carry big flight kits oh, and yeah. stuff like that. But you can imagine. Like, yeah. She had to keep all the passengers straight. Uh, I would like to know, what, did the windows roll down then? Like, so, some of the, so some of the early airplanes had windows that they didn't roll down, but they popped out. They're ah. kind of like, you know, you could pop them. Right. And they would do that or they would slide. Okay. So that was like some early airliners littering in the early 1900s just throwing something out the window but people used to just throw trash out the windows i mean that was like a that was like a thing you know that we did in the u.s yeah but anyway i think still do having lived in new york city that's pretty common yeah still common so at the onset of world war ii the nurses left the airlines and joined the military maybe they were needed a little bit more there they were needed there 
The airlines took the opportunity to hire even younger women <laughs> who were not nurses now. Uh-huh. But the standards for height and weight stuck around as well as the rest of the stuff. They just dropped the nurse thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So in 1944, the TWA uniform got designed by a Hollywood fashion designer, mm-hmm. Howard Greer. He introduced what they called the blouse slip. It's an undergarment made of rayon and satin that didn't need constant tucking in. Quote, noting uniforms as the industry progresses is important, says John Hill, the assistant director of aviation at San Francisco Airport SFO Museum. Uh, the uniforms, because they, quote, trace quite vividly the development of commercial aviation. Hmm. So basically what he's saying is if you, we look at uniforms of flight attendants over the years, mm-hmm. the way they changed and the way that they developed, et cetera, was sort of telling of the times. Right. I mean, I, if you think of the 60s, not to jump ahead, but those, the hats, you know, like I oh, yeah. I love that look. I I am not a drag performer, but I think if I was, that would be the, the hat choice that I would have. I mean, they did get sexy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're getting there. We're going to get there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. So after World War II ended, some stewards were hired back, but because they performed what was considered women's work, mm-hmm. they were thought to be effeminate and were therefore suspected of being homosexuals. Wait, wait, sorry. The men yeah, who wanted the, to be? So, after, so let me read it again. Sorry. After World War II ended, mm-hmm. some stewards okay. were hired back, but because they performed what was considered, quote, women's work... Right. Uh, in air quotes there. Mm-hmm. They were thought to be effeminate and therefore suspected of being homosexual. This perception was further reinforced when the killing of a gay male flight attendant in Miami brought the stereotype to the headlines. Wow. Um, that was in the late 40s. In the macho homophobic years uh, following in the 1950s and 60s, many airlines, some of which uh, trained their stewards in Miami their male flight attendants, Mm -hmm. called them stewards then, in Miami, in turn, quietly fired them, both gay and straight males. Wow. Basically, as as we came back from the war, um, men were just pushed out. Right, right, right. I would say there's a lot of sexism in the early days of the airline, but I didn't realize that it was for both men and women, so at least they were equally as sexist for different reasons, right? (sighs) For different reasons. For different reasons, but it's an interesting... uh, So I didn't realize this till I wrote this. So flight attendants, they reflect our society Mm -hmm. and they also drive progress in our society too. So we'll see that as we go along. Cool. And training uh, for my company, they kind of do this little bit about like the sexism that started and how far we've come. And then they talked a little bit about men, but quite honestly, in the 10 minute video, it was like 30 second little clip of like, and we let men on board and sometime later on in life. Also, at the end of World War II, airlines were experiencing high turnover because the flight attendants were getting married. Yeah. It really changed nothing. It's worth noting that some airlines actually wanted high turnover in their flight attendants. And internal internal memos amongst management at TWA noted that the training requirements for the stewardesses was, quote, minimal, and it kept wages low because they weren't there for long, Mm -hmm. unquote. And the girls then were working in the industry they were younger and younger. Mm-hmm. So they were basically minimum age, 18 to 20. Right. So very few of them would age out, and that became a good thing for mm-hmm. the airlines because the airlines began to capitalize on the sexiness of their crews. So we're talking about like the 50s and getting into the 60s. What followed was two decades in which n- nearly all flight attendants were women. Wow. Yep. In 1945, flight attendants founded the present-day Association of Flight Attendants Union, 
but that union was originally known as the Airline Stewardess Association. So you can see mm-hmm. how sexist that was, right? right? So we're calling the Stewardess Association, or ALSA, A-L-S-A. Which also sounds feminine. Right. And they were part, but interestingly, they were part of ALPA, huh. the Airline Pilot Union. Right, right, right. Airline Pilot Association until 1973, they split off. But if I'm not mistaken, right, the pilots kind of stepped in and helped the stewardess union, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. that a thing where the pilots said, hey, we should probably take care of these women more so than we're doing? Yes. It's a, it's worth noting that back in the 50s, unions were very much in favor. Right. Right. So unions kind of built America. People were very pro-union. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happened back then is the pilots would step in and say, we need more union protection. Right. And so they would protect their Sometimes their wives, right? And right. sometimes secretly, also, right? Secretly, their course. wives and the girls they dated, and but also it was just more pro union. That's cool. So, thanks, right. pilots. Yeah, I know. Back when <laughs> unions were a good thing, right? I mean, still to this day, it depends on the industry. Oh, they're very much a good thing. I'm a huge union supporter. Same. I just, you know, uniforms have always reflected the times. After World War II, there was a huge surge back to like the domestic domesticity of the 1950s Mm. right so like the housewife ads began to portray flight attendants as doting housewives doing everything from bringing you coffee to fluffing your pillows quote a high-flying expert at applying lipstick warming baby bottles and mixing a martini unquote an ad said well i think that's funny too because it's almost like an ad for like the bachelorette right so they're saying these women are the best in the air you should marry them but then they're saying to these women but don't get married you can't have kids absolutely you're like making it like this would be the perfect wife in the air while you're on your travels so here's a uniform from 1939 yes right very military very much okay that's 1939 if we jump ahead to um, I don't have any fifties in here. I'll have to work on that. Oh, I can picture it. I I feel like I can, I've seen. So this is this is early sixties. The stewardess was imagined as a, as a wife to be right, and that's how they wanted to paint it in the nineteen fifties. They really wanted it for you to get on the airplane and feel like the person serving you was like wife material mm-hmm. or like a domestic. So at this time, are men technically allowed to fly? They just choose not to, or are they not allowed to fly? So they. So men were never legally barred from flying. Uh-huh. They were just run off. Right. And the airlines wouldn't hire them. Gotcha. I mean, too, if if you're looking at the time culturally, too, if you were gay, you probably weren't going to purposely out yourself in fear of outing yourself oh, of course. in an industry that had that stereotype. And if you were straight, it wouldn't make sense that you would try and get a job that you would come across so much homophobia, right? So I think... Whether it was men are being very much being discriminated against. Yeah, absolutely. But as you pointed out, so are women because we're essentially just objectifying. We're oh. we're running the men out, and we're just objectifying the women, exactly. as housewives and and you have these group of women who are you know used to be called career career girls, right? So you yeah. have these women that are having a job and performing a very important duty, and then you're basically saying, but your job is technically just to be a housewife. Right, so like you've yeah. left the house, you've gone and you're doing a job, but we're still going to put you in a kitchen position. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't love that. No, but, but I think that that's but, exactly but what's happening. Historically, no, I mean that's what we're talking about, right? So I looked up this book. It's by Kathleen Berry, and it's called "Femininity in Flight: A History of Flight Attendants." It says that more and more airlines added age clauses to contracts for flight attendants as the profession grew into a symbol of sophistication and glamour. 
Um, women were typically age restricted and forced out initially by age 32. Mm-hmm. But that started to change around the mid 50s, and that became uh, that became age 35. While airlines that employed male flight attendants also required that they be no older than 35, mm-hmm. but for men, no older than 35 at the time of hire. Oh wow! So they could hire them before the 35 cutoff, and if I remember correctly, from my little flight attendant knowledge, they could definitely get married. They could. Yeah. So the, the men women. could be married. They had to be no older than 35 at the time of hire. And male flight attendants were allowed to fly until they reached their 60s. Hmm. So women were forced out at 35. Men were hired by 35 and allowed to work to their 60s. This is not really a recognizable world to me. Right. It doesn't feel like the America that I was raised in or that I know now. But it, but this still happens to this day with other airlines, especially does. foreign carriers. At foreign, foreign carriers. Yeah. Absolutely. Obviously not in the U.S., but... yeah. But it's interesting to look back and like put that into the historical record and to understand that that's where we were. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, my friends all thought I was crazy when I said I wanted to be a flight attendant. They were like, you want to be a flight attendant? I said, yeah, I want to get paid to go travel. But I don't really, I get paid to travel, but I get paid to sit in an airport and a Hyatt and I a know Comfort Inn and <laughs> I know that all the world that I've seen in hotel rooms. So TWA also dropped um, their no marriage rule in 1957. So they allowed their flight attendants to get married. Mm. But other airlines... Could they have kids? No. Right. So you can get married, but you can't have but kids. You can't, well, you can have kids. You just can't be pregnant. Mm. And if you have kids, you're, you, you probably don't want to tell anybody. Oh, yeah. No. Um, but other airlines continued to require that female flight attendants be, sing- be single. So TWA dropped it. A couple other major airlines dropped it, but still mostly got to be single. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seasonal uniforms began to rise in popularity. And in the late 1950s, you're going to love this. Aloha Airlines flight attendants debuted the concept of in-flight entertainment. Huh? With singing, hula dancing, and ukulele playing. On the plane. On the plane. Mid-air. Damn right. So I make an announcement because we have, you know, onboard entertainment. Sometimes it's on your personal device sometimes it's on the devices on the plane uh-huh. and so a flight attendant once said uh today the flight attendants left their tapping shoes at home so please make sure you download the app or you go on to the website to watch the movies and i was like "Ooh, i'm gonna steal that and so i said that one day and the customer was like you bring tapping shoes and i was like no obviously <laughs> no we, we don't bring on dance that was the point download the app you know <laughs> so beginning in 1956 Oh, it just gets worse from here. All right. So beginning in 1956, airlines began hosting beauty pageants. Out of 300 women, a 22-year-old flight attendant named Muffet Webb. I love that name, Muffet. Also a popular name. I actually went to a girl in high school whose name was... Um, that's a lie. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Muffet. So Muffet, um, she worked for Braniff. She became the first Miss Skyway. Ooh. Yeah. As we know, the 1950s brought about the civil rights struggle in aviation as well as in the rest of the United States, right? So we started to talk about civil rights. Ruth Carol Taylor became the first African-American flight attendant in the United States. She started her career in 1957. Wow. She wanted to break the color barrier. Mm -hmm. She applied to work as a flight attendant for TWA. She was rejected specifically because she was black. Right. That was not illegal then. Right. What I'm saying is it was legal to say, you're black, you can't work here. Exactly. But she continued to try. She landed a job at Mohawk Airlines. It's an interesting name. Taylor spent much of her career and life as an activist as an activist for the minority rights of women. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so you have a, a flight attendant, I mean, really getting in there. Yeah. 
you know, getting their hands dirty, which is great. As the 1960s rolled around, the airlines started looking more and more, they started looking for more and more ways to capitalize on sex appeal. Mm -hmm. So the mod era was in, you know what mod is? No, it's It's not. all like clean lines, okay, white well, yeah, boots. Yeah. Well, and I think it's what you're talking about when you start talking about the hats, like right. the clean hats, the yes. little hats on top and, you know, dresses that were very flat front. And it's very, um, it's a, not Mission Impossible. What was the TV show that was like the oh, it's British, James Bond? Yeah, but it's like there's um, very James Bond. Very. I love that. Okay. So the mod era came in and with it came booty shorts, mini skirts, boots, heels, and... Even smaller women. <laughs> All right, ladies. Yeah, that would. Uh, I, this, this is so mind-boggling to me too, because for me, you know, I think my job is to evacuate a plane in ninety seconds, right, with half usable exits. That's what I'm trained to do. And if you are this petite woman which i've flown with some who are very strong so i'm not gonna at all come across sexist when i'm say this but i just couldn't imagine only having that on the plane you know like just you would want to have somebody to be able to throw you out of the plane and save your life absolutely Uh, drag you down the aisle if you like smoke inhalation or something absolutely so i'm very impressed i just don't think that they were that concerned about that so what i mean is by (laughs) smaller they actually just kept the hiring standards. Oh. But the average height of the American, the average height and weight of the American group, average American was growing. Wow. They did not change. Okay. They were forced to start to change. In 1960, the New York Times ran an ad for an airline that listed requirements as, quote, a single woman, high school graduate, 20 years of age, height between 5'2 to 5'9", and should weigh between 105 and 135 pounds in proportion to her height. In addition, she must have 20-40 vision without the use of glasses, unquote. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel, oh, it was 105 to 135? Mm-hmm. I feel like I've done that weight swing in one day between waking up and then eating <laughs> airport food and airplane food and then getting back to my hotel. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I've gained 30 pounds today and I'll lose it again tomorrow. Yeah. You'll just, you're just not yeah. going to, you're not going to drink water for a while. It's yeah. going to be fine. <laughs> All the sodium <laughs> is going to, my water weight. No, I completely understand. You, you do, you do a lot of backside of the clock traveling, look at your under eyes and be like, oh, my, I my under eyes. holding so much weight right now. Exactly. My under eyes are actually checked luggage now. They're so baggy. So um, <laughs> they were carry-ons. Now I check them. Outwardly, the airline said that their hiring restrictions were to maximize the useful load of the airplane and for the comfort of the stewardesses. Uh-huh. Their comfort. Their comfort. Because it allowed them to like move more freely. Right. Crouching, standing, without without bumping their head or without you know oh, bumping into people's seats and stuff. Which... In a way, they have a point, right? But those pesky internal memos, right? they painted an entirely different picture. I also think, having been on airplanes, that the aisles only get smaller. So I can only imagine the size of these aisles were much larger They're than much the current larger. size, right? You yeah. can barely fit a bar cart down these aisles. Oh, that's true. Now. Yeah. Flight attendants could be fired for gaining weight or for getting older. But humans don't do either of those two things. So it's no. a very unrealistic expectation of someone is to get older. You know? Right. Like, so, pause. But then the Civil Rights Act of 1964 happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. That said that airlines, that, stop, that legally stopped airlines from discriminating on the basis of race, sex, age, or marital status. Um, for some people, that helped transform, the, transform their stewardess job from a short-term 
job strictly for young women mm-hmm. to like a long-term career. That was the intent, right? It didn't exactly work out like that. Right. So there was then, and there still are laws that support something called occupational qualification. Mm-hmm. Occupational qualification basically means if you can't physically do a job, then you, the employer can deny you the job. Wow. And that's still legal. Yes. I get that a little bit, though. If your stat, uh, it, it, There's a good reason. If your right. status changes during the course of your employment, you can also be terminated. Hmm. So essentially, if imagine if, and this is kind of a, uh, you know, this is, kind of getting it blown out of proportion but imagine if someone is a flight attendant and then they're paralyzed on right like one of they lose an arm right or they lose both arms well i mean even you something can't, they 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 don't can't meet, open the door you can't do right you they can't, don't meet the occupational qualification right. anymore so a modern case of this is a guy who applied to be a hooters waitress <laughs> okay he sued hooters because they told him they weren't giving him the job because he wasn't female Right. The court sided with Hooters. What? The court said that he couldn't be a Hooters waitress. Right. Because it had been and continued to be clearly the business model of Hooters. To be women. To be women. And that does not, that is not discrimination. So the man was not. Was not hired. Qualified for the job. I don't know. Yeah. And that happened in the early 2000s. Early 2000s. Yeah. And honestly, I've only been to Hooters once. It was to go to get wings. Um, I thought I would try them. Michael Scott from The Office loves Hooters. It's like a common joke in the whole show. Yeah, so whenever yeah, I yeah. think Hooters, I think Michael Scott. But there are men who work there, right? Just in the kitchen? They and work in not, the kitchen. Right. Yeah. Not not in the front of the house. Right. But you can kind of see their point, right? So they're saying Hooters was based on this concept of like women's boobs. Oh, yeah. It's in the name. Right. It's in the name. And right. so you can. And so the occupational qualification is being a woman. Interesting. And the court was like, hey, that there's makes plenty of other jobs that you can have as a server. Right. You just can't work at Hooters. I know. But, you, you know, he was probably like six years old. He's like, one day when I get older, I want to be a Hooters waitress. Hey, it could be. I, it could I be. Don't, I don't. Who knows? His who dream. Who knows? Yeah. This is the American dream for some people. So you can see how this may be a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. But in the case of the airlines, they abused it. Mm. Okay. Although it was old news that flight attendants were quietly being used to help ticket sales the airlines began blatantly using the idea of sexy flight attendants as an overt marketing tool so this is getting into the mid 60s national airlines ran a tv ad with a sexy stewardess and she was she was basically cooing fly me and then in a another national airline ad the same stewardess goes I'm going to fly you like you've never been flown before. So here's here's something about marketing that I, I miss, right? In today's world, it would literally say, fly my airline and I will have sex with you, right? There's no like under the covers kind of like wooing yeah. that takes place in advertisements yeah, now. No, like, now advertisements are just like sex. I've sold you something because of sex. It's very like barbaric, right? It, it is. So although I don't necessarily agree with the sexist of that advertisement, I do would like to say advertisers should maybe not go all the way in their ad and maybe like kind of give a little to the imagination. Yeah, I kind of like the yeah. hint too. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's neat. And, but this is the ads of the sixties, you know, yeah. and this was all over in the sixties. Well, and free love and you have everything else in the sixties. Yeah, that's right? right. Continental airlines had print ads showing flight attendants from the rear that said, we really move our tails for you. <laughs> um, off topic, but a lot of people don't know this, but Minnie Cooper used to have a ads in playboy magazines. And there was, a Mini Cooper ad that was in a centerfold 
And it was their new LEDs. And it said, look at these LEDs instead of like double Ds, right? And it literally, and they had an advertisement on a billboard. And it was, I just think that that's so mind boggling to me for like a car company. I kind of love it though. To take the centerfold, have zero women in the centerfold and just have a car with LED lights. Brilliant. It is Anyways. pretty brilliant because also they're headlights, right? And right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And you know, all the men were waiting to be, you know, right. lost in the headlights of a central. So, Braniff Airways used the tagline, Does your wife know you're flying with us? <laughs> I mean, that's a little more like direct, yeah. right? Um, Pan Am ran a photo ad with a variety of sexy flight attendants and miniskirts with the tagline, How do you like your stewardesses? Wow. Southwest Airlines sold the advantage of an aisle seat and offered in their ad that it gave the passenger the best view because it's an aisle seat right because normally people right, like get the best view from the window but right, like, no not the aisle seat uh-huh. eastern airlines actually provided male passengers this this goes way too far eastern airlines actually provided male passengers with branded little black books to collect stewardesses phone numbers i mean they hand those out to kids too right where you have like the kids like what airplane is this this would be You've collected stewardesses' phone numbers and names. Ridiculous. This was like progressing, right? In my opinion, this was a race to the bottom. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, come on. Um, I will just tell you, just as a a little note out there, don't touch a flight attendant. The other day, I was flying. It was 1 o'clock in the morning my time, but I was on the East Coast. And I was walking through the aisle, and the customer pokes me in the butt to ask for water we haven't even taken off yet and i maybe because i was tired but i turned around and i said use your words there's no need to touch a flight attendant and so just as a, a psa out there don't uh you can look but don't touch right oh we're getting there okay you're one yes. of those oh okay. I, I don't need to be touched you, yeah you fit in a you're especially a in the corona new world like please please don't touch yeah, me please yeah. don't touch your flight attendant right <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> um it was also during this era that aggressive marketing of the sexiness of stewardesses actually helped black women who were previously barred from working as flight attendants, but now they had to be hired because of the 1964 act, Mm -hmm. right? The interesting thing is because they had to be hired, the airlines used them to also market sexiness of flight attendants. So suddenly we see in ads that black flight attendants Mm -hmm. are being portrayed as sexy and empowered. Which is... Which kind is kind of a good thing, right? So it's right? like a, this is a mixed bag, right? Yeah, we pushed the culture line, right? So I I like that we had to hire them, yeah. So now let's make them sexy and show diversity. But I mean, it, the first thing I was thinking of too, and I don't know if this is going too far, but before when you said, "How do you like your stewardess?" I was like, "How do you like your coffee?" Right? So do you like it dark? Do you like medium? Yeah, like yeah. So, but that is, but they had to hire these black flight attendants, and but they still have this sexy marketing, and now they have to empower, essentially, sexually empower right. black flight attendants, which, like I said, in a way, is like kind of a slap, but in in another way, it's like airlines were the very first major campaign to portray black women as sexy, right? And just anybody of color. That's kind of amazing. Right. Any any yeah. people of color. Yeah. I- Again, good for the airline. I know, even if it's for the wrong reasons. Progress, you know. Sometimes you take a step forward to take a step back. Right. So I have here. This is my note. So the outcome is probably beneficial, but I don't know if the means of getting there was a good thing. That's my note. I think that would be a good definition of the whole United States, right? Not to get crazy political, but that's sort um, of like that is just how we've done as a culture, as a country. Right. But you can see how this action of advertising drove social change. Yeah. So now we've we've started looking at flight attendants, like you said, flight attendants of color mm-hmm. as 
as objects too. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I feel. I, I'm almost too nervous to comment about that because I don't want to say the wrong thing, you know. But yes, the ends don't justify the means right. or whatever, right? Right. So in 1966, a book titled Coffee, Tea, or Me yes. was written by an American Airlines public relations exec who didn't actually reveal his name until 2002. Hmm. He had three American Airlines flight attendants market the book. It landed on the New York bestseller list, spawned three sequels. It was written to emphasize the sexy parts of the job, although in the book there are difficult experiences. It also reflects the shifts in society and culture that were underway. It specifically contains content that is sexist by modern standards, clearly. Right. But it also contains negative descriptions of homosexuality. Chapter 10 is actually entitled, They Looked So Normal. And they're referring to gay men. Right. Yeah. So Sorry, we're out there. Again, right? We're driving social change and we're but we're also kind of like, hey, not too far. Right. Yeah. Baby steps. Baby steps as a country. So I have a note here called I don't know if you're a Redditor. I subscribe to a subreddit called it's the Reddit group Are Sexy Flight Attendants. So I'm not claiming I'm I'm exempt in it in any way. But flight attendants are still kind of fetishized or rather absolutely you know what I mean. I have a story about that, actually, if I... No, go ahead. I, okay, so I was on a dating app, and so it said that I was a flight attendant, and someone was like, oh, you should come to my room in your uniform, you know, like, that'd be really sexy and hot. And the first thing in my mind was like, no, this is covered in creamer. It has, like, Coke stains <laughs> on it. I'm pretty sure there's, like, tomato juice stuck on my knee that I've washed this suit twice, and I can't get it out. And after 13 hours of, in this blazer, the last thing I want to do is be in a hotel room with my blazer on. Like, no, this, this is coming off. I'm slipping into <laughs> jeans and a t-shirt and not this shirt that um, may or may not have been washed two days prior to that. <laughs> so I just think that that, you know, there's cops out there, there's all these like fireman ideas, but a flight attendant's uniform, to me as a flight attendant, is not sexy. It is covered in people's trash. But, and, and but I mean, else. we differ on that because oh. I still find it sexy. Oh, yeah, exactly. Even though, and, and I know flight attendants feel the same way about pilots, but you know that I, or maybe they feel the same right. way about oh, pilots. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I wear my same shirt for five days sometimes. Yeah. So well, just, you switch your undershirt. and I do. I switch my undershirt. There, there's yeah. less water in the air, so you don't sweat as much. But anyways, yeah, I think uh, people listening to this are going to go, ew. Yeah. So by 1967, looks were seen as being so important to being a flight attendant that TWA only hired 3% of their applicants. It's 3%. That's a lower percentage than Harvard. Yeah. Applicants of Harvard. And at TWA... In 1967, they still had to be single, although specifically covered in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, they still enforced it. So they weren't allowed to discriminate on basis of marriage, right? but they did. Well, I mean, They just did it quietly. Just hush, hush. They just did it quietly. But you could also blame that on like one pound of body weight, right? I mean, because at that point, you just blame it on something else. So it took a court ruling in 19... 70 federal courts intervened to stop airlines forbidding employees from getting married and having to stop once they reached a certain age. Although the ruling specifically stated that the flight attendant still had to meet the occupational qualification. That makes sense. We talked about that during the 1960s. Airlines also refused to hire men. They just straight out refused. They got away with it for over a decade. Yeah. I mean, even there's so much I want to say about that. By 1966, only 4% of flight attendants were men. 4%. Then, in a landmark case against Pan Am, which was heard by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1971, 
They ruled that airlines could not prevent men from being flight attendants. Because it was in there based off of sex, right? That's so it what it said was, yeah. Originally, but then they, they just weren't following that. They just right? weren't following it, right. While this ruling may have seemed to level the playing field, Southwest Airlines stewardesses were still serving drinks in hot pants and high heels and boots. And, and in turbulence and crawling up and down the aisle and having to check for a carved turkey or whatever I've heard. I've flown with flight attendants who have commented about like, well, back in my day, we had to carve a whole turkey. Um, the same flight attendants may or may not complain about handing out three snacks in economy. But <laughs> <laughs> the airlines were still getting away with occupational qualification as an excuse. But as airlines got, as aircraft got larger, airlines realized that they couldn't maintain that exception any longer. Right. So basically the jet age came and they were still trying to use that occupational qualification thing. And they couldn't get away with it. Right. So, mm. all right. So, by 1980, flight attendants were, on average, younger than any other profession in the entire American workforce. The percentage of female flight attendants was still high. And by the mid 80s, only 15% of flight attendants were men. Mm -hmm. But now men were actually being hired as flight attendants. And with hiring men came the rebranding of the stewardess. The airlines by the mid-80s were now referring to their cabin crews as flight attendants. It's funny, too, because even when I became a flight attendant in 2019, my dad called it a stewardess. He's like, so you're going to be like a steward and a stewardess? And I said, no, we, we don't do that. We, it hasn't been called that for a long time. But that's still, I think... You look at the history of aviation, right? For way longer, it's been a stewardess or a steward than it has been a flight attendant. Here's my next comment. Right. Although even in modern culture, the term stewardess is still quite common. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, we're on the same page. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, 100%. It was also at the end of the 1970s and early 80s when deregulation of the airline industry opened up competition, and that meant cheaper flights. This meant that more and more people were now flying, and they were doing it for cheaper rates. The airlines had to stop, had to start cutting costs to stay profitable. Now, this is interesting, and I didn't realize this until I did all this research. The glamour uniforms of the past. So we talked about that, and the, you know, starting in 1945 and, and right. going forward. The glamour uniforms of the past, which in some cases were being custom designed and built by ultra famous designers, they could cost well over a thousand dollars per uniform back then. And what what's this year again? Sorry, nineteen. So this is by this by like the seventies and early late seventies and early eighties. Right. They stopped that kind of custom uniform. Right. But prior to that, uniforms flight attendant uniform could cost a thousand dollars. I think my biggest shock when I became a flight attendant was after training. You know, because they're like, okay, you need six and a half weeks of training. We're not going to pay you for that. So and you can't qualify for unemployment. At least I couldn't because I quit my job to then do this, right? Yeah. And uh, then they said, okay, great. Here is your uniform and your luggage, which cost $1,000. So I think that's amazing. It's like even now, 2019, my luggage and uniform cost 1000 bucks. Through the company, we get our uniforms every year. We get new additional pieces. But right. $1,000 in 1980s is obviously like, a lot yeah, more 1980? than now. Yeah. Or in the, like, well, think about it. So the, we're really talking about getting a, getting away from that by the 1980s. So, like, imagine a $1,000 uniform in, like, 1968. Oh, I'm Googling it. All right, here we go. So it says here, $1,000 in 1968 is equivalent to purchasing power of about $7,000 in 2017. Whoa. Is this random... Uh, website that said in 2013 dollars.com it was the first hit on google a thousand dollars per flight attendant 
I, seven thousand. Right? Seven thousand. Yeah, thousand dollars in nineteen sixty eight is a seven thousand dollars in two thousand and seventeen. So these uniforms were being built by designers for seven thousand dollars per flight attendant. Per flight attendant. Right. So now major carriers have like twenty five thousand flight attendants. Okay, but let's talk about deregulation. And I don't know if you know about this. Um, so prior to Reagan, airlines mm-hmm. were regulated by the federal government. They were actually assigned routes. The government told the airlines how much they had to charge for the route. Wow. So there wasn't com- competition, but the government, they wanted to maintain a route structure. Mm-hmm. And so flights were empty. They may be empty, but passengers were paying tons of money to fly on that route. Wow. And the government was just saying, hey, we have to keep this route open. So here's how much the ticket costs. And they were telling that to the airline. The government wasn't making the money. The airline was making the money. So captains, a captain should make a Cadillac a month is what they said. Oh my goodness. Enough money to buy a Cadillac in right, a month. Right, right. And so, but that's why. Deregulation. Anyway, let's move on. Okay. I could talk right. about this for hours. Yeah, I know. I could too. So for decades, flight attendants and their principal union, the Association of Flight Attendants, have been at the center of social change in America. And in the ni- 1980s and the 1990s, that was no different. U.S. airlines continued to evolve rapidly in the realm of acceptance and social progress, and the AFA drove this change. Hmm. The airline industry was the first major industry in the United States and probably in the world to offer a greater measure of equality to LGBT people than was available in any other industry at the time. That's amazing. On July 30th, 1999, United Airlines, good on United, became the first U.S. carrier to announce that it would offer domestic partner benefits to all its employees. But what is really amazing is that United agreed to do this despite a federal court that upheld the airlines, the, the whole airline industry's position that they should not have to comply with a San Francisco city ordinance mandating the benefits. What boggles my mind, too, a little bit of like gay culture and gay history is when gay marriage passed, right? And you had the federal government, although it was against the state laws, but the federal government said, okay, gay marriage is legal now. If you got married, that next day, you were legally allowed to have your tuition taken away from your child. You could get fired from your company. You could... um, I mean, there's so many legalities that were not protected towards gay people you know, I was talking before about how we take a step forward and then take some steps back. Absolutely. But you're like, you can get gay married, which we just call it married, right? Right, But of you can get married, and but it's still totally fine and totally legal to be fired, lose your retirement, and that's take like, away and that's, your... Ter- that's and that's still, still to this day. That's still today. It was interesting, too, because before when you were talking about men were allowed to get hired under the, like discrimination laws about sex but sexual orientation isn't in there and even no, now it's still not it, in there. they're fighting to have it be removed from there and saying that it's not covered absolutely that boggles my mind for a com- for a country that is founded on freedom right and then it's like well to well a point. it's you know it's not about giving rights it's about my rights are better than your rights. Oh, absolutely. It's not about everybody has rights. It's no. just about my rights. And my favorite thing that I've ever seen, I think, of any meme was uh, equal rights aren't like a pie. When other people get some, you lose some of your pie, right? So oh, it's like, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's not a pie. Everyone can still have, have rights. Their slice. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. So United Airlines put professional and social pressure on its competitors. By 2001, travel privileges, health insurance coverage, et cetera, was extended to domestic partners by most airlines in the united states i think what's interesting just as a little tidbit about marriage um so i was married in the past Mm -hmm. but 
when gay marriage came out, I was with my partner. And so we were allowed to have health insurance together as a domestic partner. And once gay marriage passed, we actually lost our dis- d- domestic partnership health care. We didn't qualify for it anymore because it was only, right? Figure what? that out. Because the company said, you can't get married because it's not legal. So we'll provide you the ability to have a domestic partner health insurance. But then once gay marriage became a federal thing, they said, okay, you can't have it anymore until you get married. Because now it's legal, right? So you're sitting there and you go, well, bummer, I can't I can't have... And I don't know if anything was like uh, grandfathered in. But isn't that so funny? They're like companies that were very progressive that were allowing you know domestic partnerships, marriage. But now they're like, just kidding. Now you have to get married like everybody else. Okay, but let me, let me do point out the airlines, United Airlines um, and other airlines were not like that. Correct. They actually were, would allow you domestic partner mm-hmm. um, benefits and then without being married. And they still do that today. That's amazing. So, all right. So although uh, modern ads for airlines, mostly foreign airlines can still be very hypersexual. Let's figure out. So I wrote some things. I took some little notes. What does the flying public think of flight attendants today? Ooh. Okay, it's mixed. Yes. Surveys show that we trust flight attendants and that the public mostly feels that they are there for emergencies. That's good. 10% of JetBlue's cabin crew was has been recruited from police and fire departments. Mm-hmm. The public has changed their gears as far as the hypersexualization. Surveys show that they no longer view flight attendants as though they're there to, for the care and feeding of the passengers. However, the surveys also show that flight attendants are ranked fourth in the top five deciding factors affecting repeat business for airlines. Yeah. So basically what they're saying is they don't really look at flight attendants. The, the traveling public doesn't really look at flight attendants as uh, like a waitress anymore. They look, they kind of have changed gears and they look, they see you as a safety vehicle. But they still expect top service. They do. So here are the, here are the top five things. <laughs> this is about to boggle your mind. This is how, these are the top five things that allow airlines to get repeat business. The first one is price. Right. Price. Number two, reliability. Number three, comfort. Number four, flight attendants and their behavior. But I believe that. And as a flight attendant, I am there to serve people because I care about people, right? I'm there to protect your life. But I want to... I want to have a good quality service that I can provide because I do want you to repeat business because I'd like to keep my job in the air. Well, according to surveys, it matters. Right. Now, here's the funny one. Number five, safety. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? I uh, so, made the top five. Let's okay, say. okay well, that's good. That's good. Okay, but there's a flip side to every coin. Here's what the AFA president, Sarah Nelson, says. There's a silent epidemic in our country. This is an industry that is steeped in a sexist past, which we just examined. The airlines, for a very long time, sold tickets based on defining air travel in a sexual way, and oftentimes, flight attendants were the object of that, unquote. So the AFA reported that 70% of flight attendants experienced sexual harassment during their flying career. Yes. I, I have not I, seen it, but I've heard it. Okay. I, I, I would venture to say it's, that's, that seems low to me. Right. I would think it's higher, but... But let's go on. Hence being poked in the rear uh, as a man in the middle of the aisle to be asked for water. Flight attendants describe verbal harassment. They said that passengers would proposition them regularly. Mm -hmm. Passengers have told them their sexual fantasies. They request pornographic videos and pictures, most often referencing, however, the Mile High Club. 
which I don't know if you understand, A, how small those laboratories are, but they B, are how gross they are. Oh, I yeah. no no I would I don't like you know I wash my hands and then after I've touched the lab I've rewashed my hands just after I've washed my hands right right eighteen yeah. percent of the survey respondents said that they experienced physical sexual harassment within the last year wow okay this is twenty seventeen mm-hmm. they described being groped grabbed slapped above and below their uniforms some of them were followed, cornered, lunged at, hugged, kissed, or humped. I believe all that. I do too. Absolutely. Yes. And I I think I was making a joke before because I was telling a story about getting poked, you know, at five in the morning. And I was like, you can't even touch a stripper without paying extra. So if you're going to touch me on a flight, I need, I want some money for it, right? Like, okay, $2 and then I'll go get you that water. Absolutely. So today there's still height and weight restrictions for safety reasons though. And they're not abused um, as far as I can tell. In my interview, actually, we um, some of us had to touch, you know, like the overhead bin to make sure yeah. that you can reach it. Right. So the range is larger, but generally the acceptable range. And this isn't written. They just do tests, mm-hmm. right? Function tests. Um, it's not written. But generally speaking, the a flight attendant has to be taller than four foot 11. Mm-hmm. Overall, their weight must be proportional to their height to allow them to move throughout the aircraft. I, I bet you it's for that. And then a little bit having sat in a jump seat, which there is very little padding and very little space in a jump seat. Oh, yeah. You, you can't fit two people that are of a certain size in a jump seat, right? So you would also need, for safety reasons, during turbulence or sitting in that jump seat, they don't give us any space. There's a joke that says that the forward uh, galley is so small on a Boeing 37 because the designer's ex-wife was a flight attendant, right? So it's like the worst kitchen ever. Ugh. Anyways, it's, it Don't really is Don't even get though. me started on the 737. I, I, I live in that little galleyway. Pilots can't even, you can barely sit in your actual own seat Correct. in the cockpit. It's so small. Yes. But yeah. of course, people try and do yoga there. Okay, continue. <sighs> so current stats. All right. We're about to wrap this up. Current stats. The median age of flight attendants in the United States is 44 years old currently. Wow. Uh, the majority of, of those flight attendants, 58%, are white females. Men account for 24.1% of all flight attendants currently. It's interesting. I looked up where that falls. Mm-hmm. That falls between teachers, 23.9% males, and dressmakers and seamstresses, 24.6% male. Which are also both professions that you sort of picture a female. I mean, I, I had a lot of male teachers, but I feel like teachers traditionally also were primarily female. I agree. I agree. So... That's it. What do you think? I I feel I've learned a lot. I think as a male flight attendant, I'm proud. I don't think anyone understands flight attendants until you become a flight attendant. And I don't think I understood it either. I I don't. I'm a pilot. I deal with flight attendants all the time. Right. I don't understand. I still don't understand. It's nothing. And you, it's funny too. I dated a flight attendant. I still don't understand. (laughs) I I thought dating a flight attendant would be beneficial, but I, I think it's a little complicated. Um, but we never saw each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even though you have flight benefits that you could go wherever you want to, you're just right. too tired. I think my biggest takeaway is just being a flight attendant, male or female, that you said safety's number five, right? That's well, on the reasons on, people fly again, right? Right, Repeat. right. Yeah. In training, six and a half weeks, you know, 40 something hours a week of training, uh, we didn't cover first class or domestic flight like service until the last like two days like we spent a day about like this is what you do on the line 
this is how you oh serve. you mean like service stuff service stuff yeah literally right. i think because it's all spent, about safety it's all about safety and that's not regulated by the faa versus the training is and it's the only job the only job where you spend seven weeks about your life learning how to prevent death how people have died in the past right and regulations and and laws that are put into place to prevent death and then you go on the line and you're like okay every day I don't want to do that, right? So it's the only right. job you go to training for that you're like, don't want to use these skills. Don't want to use these skills. I don't right. want to use these skills. Right. Yeah, right. it's a weird, weird profession. And you get comfortable with the concept of crashes and, oh, and death. death. And oh, I mean, you and I were talking about this. Absolutely. You have to have a, a kind of a dark sense of humor. I was talking to somebody and I was saying that in this job, you get on a plane and although death is a, is a part of your job on a daily basis to prevent it or heart attacks or medical reasons or anything like that, it's you have this emotional intelligence portion of your job that you have to have, which is right. you have to be able to connect with both people and your crew. And when you do that, you connect with somebody, you've known them for 15 minutes and customers are like, wow, you guys have traveled together a lot, right? And you're like, I just met her. I don't even know her name. Like I've gone a seven hour flight because I've called the flight attendant love the whole time because I couldn't remember her name. You know? right. right. I've had to look it up in my schedule just to, okay, her name is Lauren. And I have so much respect for flight attendants and pilots and people who step in and say, I'm going to help. Yeah. I'm going to help. Right. I'm, I'm going to risk my own life to help. There's an earlier episode in the podcast about the person who's defecating on the cart, you know? Right. And you had comment, you're like, nowadays people would just like attack that person. So yes. I also feel very confident on my flights that I know if something happens, I'm not the only one that's going to step up and say, I'm here to help. And right. I've seen that on a much smaller scale. Right, right. Uh, on flights. And I think that that's amazing. That's very interesting. All right. So we're going to wrap this up, David. Yeah. Um, I'd like to thank you for being here. Thank you. Such an interesting... I hope that you want to come back and oh, we'll absolutely. do this more. We'll do this again. And um, I hope you learned something. I did. I do. I'm going to say about my sources. This time I use so many sources that I'm just going to screenshot it. And I'm going to put it on the on my Instagram because... If I read if I read it, it, it would be like three, four minutes of just me reading sources. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to screenshot it, put it on my Instagram. Um, again, check check out the Instagram. Check out uh, Twitter. I'll tag David in the uh, in the aluminum tube post. Absolutely. And um, I just want to say thanks for coming. And you Thank know, you. for my listeners, thanks for listening. Yeah. Hashtag don't touch your flight attendants. Use your words. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, man. Yep.